The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, we're in a, in a book called Exodus. It's an ancient story. It's really, really old, uh, but it has lots and lots to say to us. Um, last week, we had Pastor Dan Patterson here, um, and he was sharing from Exodus 32, which is looking at this part of the story of the golden calf where there's idolatry. Um, and the Israelites are building this image of what they wish to worship. Um, and that was really, really encouraging and discouraging at the same time. But I also, in light of that, want to thank all the leaders that were here last week that led our church because uh, we all went away. So it was the first Sunday. We, we planted this church six years ago. It's the first Sunday we've ever all not been here. And so we went away for a weekend to refresh and pray and seek the Lord. And so uh, pastors, elders, elder candidates, department leaders, and spouses were all invited to go away. And this church, I don't know if you, if you were here last week, uh, but none of us were here. We were cheering you on and praying for you. But we couldn't have been able to do that without people in this church who continually step up and lead and serve. So for everyone who served last week, thank you so much. Could you freed us up to be able to go away and do that? Can we also give them a hand? Yeah. And look, at the end of this, I'm just going to ask that you give me a hand as well, you know what I mean, while we're at it. Okay. Um, So in in this particular part of the story, um, we kind of get this really, really important scene. And I don't know whether you've had this experience, I'm sure nearly everyone here has had some of this in the last couple of years, where you've had to essentially cancel a trip, or cancel an event, um, or cancel it multiple times. Uh, some of you have had this experience, but, but I wonder if, if you remember a time when that happened to you as a kid, where maybe your parents had like promised you this big family trip, and you're going to do this thing, and you've told all your friends about it, and then last minute, either it got cancelled, or dad just said, look, I can't go, I've got to keep working or something, or mum's got to go and do something, and so it's just not quite the same. That's essentially what we're about to, to head into. There, there is this big trip to the promised land that God has promised his people. They, they have been rescued from slavery, from the Egyptians, through miraculous things. God has been feeding them, God has been giving them water, and they've been learning to trust Him, and He's given them like His, his instructions so that free people would stay free. That's, that's what the rules are about, it's trying to keep them free. And then over here, they, they kind of have this moment where they start building uh, an idol uh, which reflects what Egypt would have done, and they're in a difficult situation. Essentially, what God says is, hey, listen, just letting you know I'm not coming. I've cancelled my flights, I've cancelled my accommodation. You guys go. You go, it's going to be great. Off you go. It's still going to be fine. It's still going to be good. You're still going to have the blessings. And they're hit with this moment of like, oh, but, but you're not coming? And so I think what we see in this passage is, is really three major things I want to give you, but I want to read to you a chunk of it if I can. I'll get to Exodus rather than Genesis. That'll be, that'll be helpful. This should come up on the screen for you. It says this. It says in verse 1 of 33, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. So you can still go. I'm still going to give you the land, still going to give you the blessing, and I'll send an angel before you, and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In other words, I can't keep going with you because you guys just keep sinning and messing it up. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Last week they were putting on the ornaments to make the idol, and now, now they're, they're saying, hey, no, we're not doing that. Say to the Lord, uh, to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onwards. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Verse 12. And Moses said to the Lord, see, to me, uh, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Do you remember when Moses was, was, was with God on the mountain and God was telling him to go to Pharaoh and God was telling him who's going with him. This is why you can go and take Pharaoh on. It's because it's not about you, Moses. I am with you. I'm going with you, so have confidence. And so he's saying, well, you're not saying that this time. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor or grace in my sight. Now, therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, when he says you there, it's in the singular. Okay, meaning Moses, I will go with you and my rest will be upon you and you alone, not the people, just you. Now, that's interesting. We'll come back to how that's even possible. But I love Moses. He says, if your presence will not go with me, hang on, he just said it would be. Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Verse 18, Moses says, Well, then please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. That's the word Yahweh that we've been looking at through the whole book. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and mercy. I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, but you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you should stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not see. Chapter 34, verse 6, he goes on, and kind of, this is the moment. It says, Then the Lord passed him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the children, the, uh, of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. So I think you can kind of see what's going on here. I want to bring out maybe just three things for us that I think that we need, right? So this is the sense of they've, they've committed this, this sinful act of idolatry. They've made this thing in their own image, and God has come to them and say, hey, this is not how this thing rolls, okay? I'm to be your God. And so they're in this moment of meeting with God, 
And I think there are three things in this text that we need to be reminded of that we need. Number one is we need to repent. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of us. <laughs> what is repentance? Okay, Repentance is a sense of like we're turning away from something that we worship, something that we say is of greatest worth, and we place our faith in it, we place our value in it, and we turn back to God. In other words, idolatry is not just something that ancient people did when they carved out a statue. I'm pretty sure most of us in this room haven't carved out a little wooden statue and put it on and said, there's God. Okay? But the principle of what idolatry is, every, every one of us does this. Worship is worth-ship. It's placing the ultimate worth onto someone or something. And so these guys have done that and they've made this image and God is saying, hey, listen, I'm not going with you. Even if you, if you notice there, in the first part of chapter 33, God uses the language of the people and my angel. He doesn't use my people. These men and women wanted the presence of God. They wanted God to be with them. God wants to be with them. But the irony is, in their own doing, in their own making, to have this form of God of which they liked... Now they are being disconnected from God. And this is what idolatry does. When we place value, worship, ultimate um, sort of satisfaction and fulfillment onto things that are not God, they don't actually help us get to God. They actually push us further away from God. So rather than it connecting us to God, it disconnects us. And this is what they're experiencing. So God is saying, well, I'm not going with you. And if you remember a few weeks ago, Shane preached through the section on the tabernacle where God's given them all of these instructions. Here's what it's going to look like. And the tabernacle was essentially going to be, here's everything that represents me. There's this lampstand and it's a picture of the tree of life in the garden. It's going to give life and light. There's this altar where you can bring sacrifices. There's the Ark of the Covenant where it's reminding you that we are one. There's the mercy seat. And so they go, God's not going to come with us. Therefore, there's no tabernacle. We don't have any of the things that we need. And so what do they do? They do what we all should do. They turn back to God. And it's beautiful. It's like, yes. So when the people hear this, it's this disastrous word. They mourn. I remember this, this scene in the Gospels where Jesus has a number of people walking away from him and he turns to the disciples and he goes, do you guys also want to turn away from me? And they say, where else would we go? You have the words of living life. And this is kind of what they're like, we have messed up and we get it and we know that without you we have nothing. And so they turn back to God, it says in verse 4, When the people heard the disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Verse 6, Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments. This is the idea of they're going, yeah, okay, we, we, we messed up. As a parent with kids, I love these moments. Where the kids actually go, yeah, that was me. It wasn't them who drew on the wall. It was me. Things go so much better when we go, yeah. I'm not right, I realize that, but I am turning to you. And what you see is every time people turn to God, God turns to them. It's wonderful. Number two, we don't just need to repent, but we need a mediator. So what is repentance? Repentance is turning away 
and turning to. What is a mediator? A mediator is someone who stands in the gap. You've got, you got two people sort of arguing and fighting. A mediator comes in and tries to bridge the gap between the two parties. This is what we see in this text. Moses is being the mediator. Throughout the story, he's being on the God-representation side where he's been the prophet and he's speaking on behalf of God to the people. And then other times he's over here and he's the priest and he's representing the people back to God. And so he is constantly mediating between these two parties. And, and God, God acts in a certain way because there was a mediator. Because Moses comes to God. He pleads with God. He prays to God. He talks with God. And I love that the pleading is really on two fronts. The first is, as we looked at earlier, it's this idea of like, well, who's going to come with us? The whole promise, the whole point of going to this land was the fact that you were coming with us. And so verse 12, he says, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. But then number two, he's pleading with God to see Israel as God's people. And so verse 13, he says, Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And again, that's in the singular. And then Moses says, That's not good enough for me. I've never spoken to God like this. I don't know if you have. Like, I've cried. It's like, he's almost like, Nah, mate, not good enough. Have <laughs> you ever said, Nah, sorry, God, I need a little more? You know, he's pleading. This is like full on. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us. What is Moses doing? Moses is saying, I am the people. So it's me and us and you. It's not just me and you. Oh, Moses, this is amazing. And he, he then pleads with God, God, you should be seeing it the same way. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I've found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, the whole point of you rescuing us was to make us a distinct people. Our distinctness is because of who we worship, who we're in relationship with, that the whole world would see is like, that's a different God. That seems really, really different. And so getting into the land without our distinctness, without you, we're not going to have that. God, would you see these people as your people. Can I mediate? And again, this points me to Jesus. Because this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus, if you're not a Christian, is known as the God-man. That is, is he perfectly is representing God, and he is perfectly representing humanity, and he puts them together, and he mediates so that the people... Us, who are often stiff-necked, often we mess up, God sees us as his kids. God welcomes us by his grace to be his people. Is that good news? Like, when you stop and you think about who God is and who the book has made out God to be, who is this otherly holy being, this transcendent being, and then we look at ourselves... There is a big gap between the two. Do you know what I mean? Like I've got a relative, and they're pretty like semi-famous, right? Some of you might even know who they are, okay? And, and when I'm with this particular sibling, who could be sitting over there somewhere, um, and people ask for, for the autograph, it's kind of weird. 
because I'm also there and I'm also a somebody and people know me at certain cafes in certain parts of the world. Like if I'm at the Brew Testament, people know me. Uh, but when I'm out at like Wagga Wagga, nobody knows me, okay? There's a sense in like there are degrees of like specialty, right? And he's super special. I'm not very special. God is even more famous, even like God is signing the whole world signature. Wherever he goes, everybody knows him and everybody's like, oh, God's in the room. And yet God goes, and this is like, he doesn't do this with me. And this is my brother. He just ignores, he just signs it, goes, yeah, man, no way. He never introduces me as the brother. Okay, I'm not hurt by that. I'm not offended by that. Just a little bit. Jesus mediates for you. Jesus stands in the gap between broken people and a holy God so that God goes, you're my people. Today, God is present in this room with us today because of Jesus. You can know and walk with God the Father because of Jesus. And you can have what the tabernacle was supposed to represent. You can have Jesus. And thirdly, God's glory. So God says, okay, Moses, I'll, I'll go with you. Okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, yes, you have found grace. Yes, you have found favor in my sight. I'll answer that prayer. I'm going to go. By this point, I'm kind of feeling like Moses probably asked for enough. Hey, can you show me your ways? Hey, can you show me who's taken us? Hey, can you, can you please renege on that whole thing you just said to everyone? Can you come? And God's like, good. And he's like, just, just go one more thing though. It's like that kid who just keeps taking, like you give him the little, and it's like taking it all. And Moses says, can you show me your glory? Essentially he says, I want to see your glory. And what God says is, sure, but you don't get to see my face. And this leads to a whole lot of questions as to what is God's glory. And if I can push in here a little bit, I'm going to make some of you feel really uncomfortable. And that's okay. Because I think God wants to show you something that you, you can have and I can have. You see, it seems to me that there are different degrees of experiencing God. Uh, the Bible tells us in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, there is this omnipresent, there is this general presence of God that every human being sees, Christian or not Christian. We look out, we see the skies, we love sun, sunrises and sunsets, we love mountains. There's this thing in us that goes, something is out there. And that presence is for all people, even those that don't believe. That's not just for Christians. It's, it's called general knowledge in theological terms. But it's this wordless speech that is speaking to all of us. And we all look up, we all sense that God is saying, I'm here, I exist, I'm real. When that is all we understand of God to be, and we go through a hard time, that is not helpful. 
The amount of people who have I've walked through difficult times and they're like, don't tell me God's going to be with me because that's not helping me right now. And the reason they say that is because that's the only concept of God being present with them that they understand. What help is it? Because he's always already being with me. I think what we're seeing here is God is saying, Moses, I'm going to go with you, but not them. And then Moses is like, I want to see your glory. And I think there's something else where it's like, there's a different, a different relational experience that God is saying and Moses wants to have that's more than just the generic, God exists, he's omnipresent, he's universal. And there's something about that name Yahweh which is trying to show us this. When those who are brokenhearted, well, how does the Bible speak of those that are brokenhearted? It says that he draws near to them. Well, how does the all, everywhere, omnipresent God draw near if he's just everywhere? Isn't he already near? But you see this language all throughout the Bible that draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And there is something that God wants us to see that I think that is in here in this part of the passage, and I really want to encourage you. If you're not a Christian, you can know God beyond the generic, He's up there, out there, He's something. To the Christian, and you're just going through the motions of like, ah, oh, yeah, Bible, God, yeah, church, yeah, do the thing, uh-huh, good. You can actually have more than that. What does this word glory mean? The, the, word, the Hebrew word is kavod, and it's got these different forms, right? Uh, there's a sense in like glory means honor. You can honor somebody's reputation, but I think the other aspect here is that glory means weight. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is, when you experience the glory of God, weightiness hits you. You're like, ah, I'm in the presence of something distinct from me, otherly than me. And it's like, whoa. Have you felt that? Have you ever had that experience of like, oh man, God is like holy. And then you say, holy cow, he's holy. And it's like, no, no, we're supposed to just say holy, 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 not holy cow. Okay. We see this time and time again in the Bible. If you think about the book of Isaiah, you have the seraphim that are in the vision are going around God and they're saying, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What is the response of Isaiah? Wait, woe is me. Oh, goodness. I'm a man of unclean lips. He meets the transcendent and his first initial response is like, Crap. Oh, no. And every time you see people meeting the angel of the Lord, it's the exact same thing. They're like, I'm on these, I'm on these. Why? Because his glory is weighty. But then the angel of the Lord touches him and tells him, and this is, again, you see this all through scriptures, like, hey, it's okay. The book of Isaiah is how God cleans and cleanses us so that we can be in the weighty presence of God. 
And we see this even here in the text because it says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. So you're going to encounter the weightiness of me, but remember, in that weightiness is my grace and my mercy. The other aspect of glory is substance. It's not just weight, it's like it's something other that I want, which is weird. It's like it's scary, but I know I need it. This is what they're saying. Go. We don't care about the houses and the cars and the jobs and the careers. We don't care about any of that because if we have all of that without you, we have nothing. Substance. We've got to have you. You must be with us. This is the substantive. It, it's the difference between a house and a home. What's the difference between a house and a home? The substance. What's in the home? What's the feeling and experience in the house? That's what makes a home. And then there's this idea of face. So it's kind of shown my glory, but you can't see my face. The face is being used synonymously with glory. And what does face represent? Well, it represents an intimate relationship. It's part of the reason why you and I, we've got to talk to each other like face to face. There's conversations that need to be had like face to face. Um, I just don't want to text that to you, or, uh, and I don't want to just look at your, your, your elbow. It's like as lovely and attractive as that is. That's great. God made it. It's awesome. But I want to look you in the eye. When Carly and I, my wife and I, go on a date night, I'm not looking at her elbows. We're talking. We're, com- we're conversing. We, we want to be face to face. The idea of face, it, it's... It's this intimate relationship. And in Exodus 33.11, it talks about the fact that Moses and God met face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Now, we know that's figuratively. God is saying, you're going to have this relationship with me. And I'm going to speak to you. You see, what I think God wants for those of us in the room and online, I think God wants this book to go from being a bunch of words on a bit of paper to being God speaking to you. So you're not just reading some generic story, you're reading a story, and as you're reading it, God is speaking directly to you. You experience a face-to-faceness with God. Here's how Tim Keller says it. Tim Keller says, here's how you know you've begun to sense, uh, you've begun to sense the God's glory. You've begun to see His face. You get a sense that there's content there. When you read the Bible, you sense he's speaking to you because the Bible stops being words on a page. In other words, you read about the mercy of God and maybe in the past you believed in the mercy of God or you believed God was merciful. When you've begun to experience the glory of God, his mercy becomes weighty. His mercy bears on your heart. You experience it. You feel it. You get a sense of the heart that there's this kind of spiritual reality to these things. And you sense that you're spending time with God, with Him. And He's hearing you and speaking to you through His Word, through the Scriptures. This is what it is to experience not just the general 
omniscience and omnipresence of God, but to experience God's glory for yourself. I had this when I had a mental and emotional breakdown in 2014, where I was in a room, can't get out, fetal position, and my wife started reading to me the Psalms. And initially I'm like, I don't want to hear from the Psalms. When you go through hard times, Psalms suck. Ah, great. They also went through a hard time. Great. So encouraging. And she read to me and she read to me and as a good wife she would tell me to shut up and stop whinging and stop complaining and just do what I'm told and listen. And eventually we got to Psalm 77, a psalm of Asaph. And you know what happened? God spoke to me. And I heard Psalm 77 in a way I didn't hear Psalm 1 to 76. And it was like God was speaking to me through the book. And it has radically changed my life because for the first time in my life, I realized God was near me. God was in my broken state and had drawn near to me. He wasn't generic. He wasn't just being omnipresent. He was close to me. And I had a change in my heart that said, I need to know more about that God, the one who is near to his people. You've heard number six, it's sung in a famous song currently, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his relational love shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's also beauty or goodness. Notice when he says, show me your glory. I wonder what he was thinking he is going to get. A glow, some shininess, maybe a wee bit of gold dust somewhere in there, right? What's, what's he expecting? We don't know. What does he get? I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name. No, no, I want to see something. Great, I'm going to show you my nature and my character, and I'm going to tell you about it. Have you ever said it would be really great if God could just kind of come up and show me he exists? That would be really good, hey? It's like, I've got so many friends who say this, man, if he'll prove himself to me and just, boom, he's there, then I'll believe. Moses is like, I want to see your glory. He's like, cool, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you and show you my goodness. I'm going to put my character on display for you. You want to see me, Moses? I'm going to speak to you my name. And what is that name? It is Yahweh. And he says it multiple times. In 44, he says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord. A God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head and worshipped God. The essence of God's glory is his nature. It's his character. It's who he is. Like we, we are so conditioned to think that who we are is the outside. I want to visibly see God. Show me something that I can see that's physical. And God goes, no, no, no. I'm just going to tell you about me and who I am on the inside. My character, 
my nature because you can't make me visible. That's why, you're making, that's why you're making idols and you're carving things so you can visibly see something. No, this is who I am. Oh, this is powerful stuff. And who am I? I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I'm faithful, I'm loving, I'm forgiving, and I'm also a righteous judge. All of this is my goodness. All of this is my beauty. And you and I get to experience drops of grace from this infinite ocean. We get to experience God's grace, God's mercy, His love, His forgiveness all the time. And here when He's talking about the fact that that He's not going to allow sin to happen, that's also His goodness because what good parent allows evil just to continually come upon their children? God steps in and says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. That's not happening. No, 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 I'm going to exercise what needs to happen here. And they've experienced that, but because they've repented, instead of just getting His his justice, they're getting His grace and mercy because they've turned to Him. Again, how do these two things hold together? Well, we see it in the personal work of Jesus, who is without fault, without sin. He is perfection. He is gracious and merciful. And because he is our mediator, he experiences the righteous justice of God. And we get the grace, compassion, forgiveness of God. And this is what 2 Corinthians 4 says, tells us that we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. If you want to know what the, like, the glory of God looks like, you want to experience it, look to Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Every time you open the book, look for Jesus. What does this tell me about Jesus? Every time you pray, pray Pray for Jesus in your life. And I I can tell you now that God wants your relationship with Him to be more than just some universal, some generic, some omnipresent God there. God wants you to experience His glory in the sense of like, God is speaking to me. I know God is with me. I know God is encouraging me. I know that's God's grace for me. That's God's mercy for me, not just for everybody else. Because often we think God can love that person, God can forgive that person, but we need to experience that for ourselves, that God loves you, God's grace is for you, God's mercy is for you, God's compassionate, steadfast, faithful love is yes for all, but also for you. And this is what Moses is saying, God, you said you only want to go with me, and I said no, because I want you to come with us, generic, big for all, and I also just want you for me. Show me your glory. And as the band come up, this is what the book of Exodus is all about. It's about God being gracious and merciful to broken people so they can know Him and have Him and walk with Him. And God is offering for you today that you would know Him. Christian who Maybe you pick up the Bible every now and again, and it just feels like words, words in another book. God wants you to experience Him speaking to you through the book. Ask Him for that experience. I can tell you, it makes the world of difference, because when you start to experience that, you just keep reading this thing. And you can't get enough of it because every time you open it, you're like, oh man, I've just learned this. I've, man, this is a God. That's, oh man, this. Oh man, this. It's amazing. Every time you pray, you're not just praying to some thing out there somewhere. 
you're on your knees and you open up, you're talking to your father who's sitting and present with you right in that moment. And you're like, God, I'm talking to you and you're listening to me. Bring my burdens, bring my anxieties, ask you for these things. God, we want to see your glory. We want to see who you are and we want to experience it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.